news Uh, coming in from Oman Agency about the suicide, suicide attack at, at a mosque, at a mosque in Oman. Friday prayers. Yeah, uh, not the first Friday prayers that have been targeted in this country. Twenty-three is the number that I'm sort of hearing more and more consistently across the different wires and the news agencies. Yeah. What What do you? Uh, It's the same, yeah. roughly. I mean, we'll find out really tomorrow. Yeah. Because we're just too soon into it. Everything. Well, will happened. we? Probably not. No one. I mean, who cares? Who cares that there was a like? You know, I look at a lot of like. There's a lot of this kind of. I look at a lot of. I mean, forgive me for saying this. I look at a lot of whiny sort of you know Pashtun brothers and sisters who are always whining about some sort of you know offense or the other. But like today, it's a slap it's in hard the face. To, it's 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 hard not to whine with them. Like, wh- where is it? Can you remember the names of anyone that died in Mardan? No. Do you even remember that there was a bomb attack in Mardan? No. A, I, yeah, upon yeah, reminder, a month ago. You, yeah, yeah. About a month ago, right? Yes. Do you remember where it was? It Don't was say it, the Nadra office. That was one a few months ago. Was it the district uh, courts? Huh. Yeah. At the at the Kacheri. Yeah. 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 But I you, mean, I know I know somebody whose whose uncle. Uh, you know died there right. in that attack and and frankly that's how it sticks out otherwise in this in the symphony of blood and gore that that has been playing in this country it is becoming increasingly difficult to remember one terrorist attack in distinction from another yeah jasada But Jasada, what? Bajakhan. Well. Yeah. What about there's Shabkadar? Yeah. What about the the market? Yeah. What about the double attack? Yeah. What about Quetta? Which one? Yeah. So I don't. Quetta, January 2013. The lawyer attack. January 2013 again. Yeah. uh, Whatever it was, August. Yeah. How many days after the 14th? Or was it meant to disrupt our August 14th celebration? Because you remember that was one of the that was one of the lines that came out of that. The talking points that come out of these attacks they never cease to disappoint and disgust. Well, one of the problems. I mean, one of the talking points today. Well, one of the problems was I remember also in the talking points that was disgusting to a degree was that it was suggested that this is also somehow a victory that the extremists that the militants are now no longer capable of hitting hard targets so that they're hitting soft targets yeah, so yeah, this, a I mean we got like let's start that's like I the mean, worst no, thing no, no, to no. say well, what is this thing I, I read this in the, I think it was Don or I was reading one of the one of the reports uh, not to not to not to pick on Don or, or anybody else for that matter but what is a soft target what does that mean but what It means that there are no barracks to save the flesh. And that particular iteration of an argument of winning, like, you know, you agree also, is particularly problematic because, no, it's not winning. Yeah, we can agree that things are different five, ten, five years down no, the line. No, but, but to be fair, I've the made the argument. I've made the argument on sort of the international media on, and sort of, you know, on social media, on the local media. Um, I'm trying to think back to Yohanabad yeah which was a few months after APS um, and then there was uh, Shikarpur there was a attack in Pindi and there was a series of these attacks on and the targets were minority groups so they were either Christians or Shias yeah almost consistently like the big attacks in 2015 Yeah. Like, and I think they started sometime in May, maybe, maybe earlier. And the argument that I made was actually that there is, that at some level, in a macro sense, 
there's a desperation to the TTP and its splinter groups and their attacks. And the desperation is born out of the fact that they are being pressed in a big, significant way. So from that perspective, there is, there is an element of, it's a sign of the country's growing uh, dominance, physical dominance. Uh, it's assertion of violence over these groups. So if somebody says it's a sign of victory, maybe, maybe that's where they're coming from. Is, I, that, is I, that an unfair thing to say? No, I don't think it's an unfair characterization because there is truth in it. The problem occurs is that when the attack happens, and very soon after, this is what you suggest. The problem with that is that that's not one, there's no solace in that, right? Number two is that it's not as if a lesser target because lives are also lost. So I think acknowledging it in the way that you're talking about, that's a part of analysis. We're not going to forget that. And we are going to acknowledge that, that, that there's progress. However, um, you know, I think one of the problems, like when you say today, like when people characterize, say, a certain group online as being whiny pakhuns, I think one of the things is that, you know, it becomes a double tragedy. The first tragedy is that you've got loss of life, and today in particular, Right? Nobody's on television right now. The primary thing that's happened is this whole Karachi situation, Rao arresting Izhar. And the problem is that, you know, that sort of differentiation in terms of like what matters or, you know, how certain lives are being portrayed in terms of the coverage. Or even then when saying that, you know, there's a consolation in all of this. I think that probably is the thing that tends to pinch the hardest well there's a lot to pin and and of course my characterization uh was you know it was tongue-in-cheek yeah I yeah know. i know that yeah so, yeah i mean i think that if anybody has a right to whine you know surely Bakhtuns do you know without question uh i also think it's interesting that but there's you, a, there's a thing behind that whining characterization and i, I know you just said it as a as a joke but the, the but not entirely as a joke. Not I mean, entirely. I said it tongue in cheek. So yeah, there's, yeah. there's an element of frivolity to, to. Yeah. And I, I think where that comes from is on occasion is that, you know, when we're chest beating frivolity. on a success. Sorry, I just. Frivolity. Yeah. Frivolity. Yeah. Frivolity. frivolity. Yes. Right. So, but, but, but when we're chest beating on, say, some kind of success, and then, you know, there are those doubting Thomases in the back, and it's partly rooted in all of this. And I think. Sometimes it's hard that, you know, you've got naysayers when there is something that is actually really good and you want everyone just to say for one day, you know, hey, we're doing okay. And you've got people... But I think allowing that space is also, like, really important. No, no I think more than allowing that space. I think if there's groups within our, within our discourse that feel, that, feel, that feel undermined, that feel shat upon, right... You know, just saying that, you know, this is an anti-CPEC, you know, like, they're getting money from the American... Like, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. seriously, that, you can't... That's not how you deal with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no doubt that there are all kinds of international groups yeah. that are interested in, uh, in disrupting and intervening in the national conversation. Yeah. I have no doubt. But I also have no doubt that the stupidest way of dealing with it is to claim or to attribute every protestation in Pakistan that doesn't fit the line of the, of, of the quote-unquote mainstream, which runs right through Rawalpindi, uh, you know, that if you don't, if you're not basically saluting that, then somehow you're on a foreign agenda. This is exactly why we're... We're, we're, we're locked in the, in the situation that we're locked in. Yeah, I agree, because the other thing is, like, you know, when I look at another player and all of this, is that when Modi said what he said, in a way it was a brilliant, extremely cheap gambit where he screwed over everybody, right? Even those people who are invested in the system who haven't gone out, you've painted everyone under one brush, and, you know, it was extremely Also, unhelpful. you've also painted the people who would hesitatingly but out of a moral compulsion, would say things about Balochistan. Yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't say a lot about Balochistan for, for a number of reasons, but, but I've always felt like, you know, making people disappear, atrocious. You know, taking out Akbar Bukti, atrocious. Like, yeah. Atrocious, right? Yeah. I, 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 I've been consistent on that. Yeah. You know, every chance I've... 
and listening to Baluch voices, even the ones that I even I don't want to listen to, right? Yeah. Like, and I'm a pretty like I I can handle like a re- really, but sometimes like like frankly, you know, like the Mehriyar. Uh, Whatever, Harbiar. You know, I love those, those names, by the way. I, I think I, I heard think them the first time. I think that's I the only awesome. thing I like about these people. <laughs> and when I say these people, I'm not talking about Baloch's brothers and sisters. I'm talking specifically about these scumbag anti-Pakistan sort of sit in Geneva and, and run ops against this country, right? And, and, and cheap, like not effective, not very good ops at that. But actually, you know, calling them names is not... That, that's not a winning strategy. I think Modi, I think you're right. I think he screwed them over too. Like I think he's, because whatever hint of legitimacy that I may have, you know, even in my analysis, right? I'd be like, But maybe there's a part of, you know, Harbiyar or Mehriyar or whatever, uh, whoever it is, right? Shehriyar, right? Yeah. Like there's a part of them that really believes in what they're saying. Yeah. And I'm sure their supporters obviously are very angry because they believe everything lives in. But I'm saying I have a different viewpoint. I come from a different place, I get a different vantage point. And even I'm willing to concede that like 5, 10, 15% of my brain says, you know what, actually, maybe it's not, maybe they're not scumbags. Maybe they really feel undermined. Maybe it's not cool to kill somebody's grandpa and expect them to sort of run to Rabul so he, Here's and, an interesting <laughs> parallel on this. Like, I agree with you fully, right? The, the issue is that with them like you know in sort of the really hardcore nationalist narrative at one point there was that if you th- if you send a drone and kill someone's grandpa or whatever this is what's going to happen then there's a justification then for bringing them back into the fold which of course has been denied to this sort of side and i agree i mean like i'm also like i support the baloch cause within pakistan right i this whole thing about separation or whatever this is not my cup of tea as well however like you know you're such a nationalist i'm such a nationalist i mean i also have a i, I just think you're it's going to cause so much blood why do you like the taliban so much? i love the yeah <laughs> <laughs> no but, but but the point being is like so then again even with them right we we've denied them sort of one end of the nationalist spectrum that we justified for whatever reasons we thought was okay for us and then reaching no, out to like them. Like when it's a Taliban, they're like, they're... Uh, they need to be called... Bhatkeve uh, Bhai. Exactly. Right? Like, they've lost their way. So, do We don't give the guys, same to these... No, no. If yeah. those guys have lost their way, then yeah. why aren't these secular bros, like, or whatever, like nationalist bros? Yeah. I mean, some of them, by the way, even among the blue... Like, we don't realize, that, you know, Islam is like... It's like a tribal sort of, you know, mark of identity. Yeah. Even, even in, among some of these groups. So, if our... Those Muslim bros, right, who have blown up children, yeah. c- can be cut slack. Yeah. That the reason we're in this is because of the American invasion. Yeah. Then the reason we're in this is because, you know, the American Pupitu general yeah. blew up a cave in which Bukti was in. Exactly. So, so, exactly. Yeah. And by the way, the same Bukti was an instrument of the establishment for, for most of his career. For most of his so, career. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, a lot of these hardcore Baloch nationalists yeah. actually actually curse Bukti's name until the day yeah. the Pakistan army converts him into a hero. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is now like... So. But anyhow, the point we're trying to say is that like, we need to give space and what Modi has done effectively is if you, know, if you wanted to see, like, so I don't say things like this uh, literally ever, yeah, but, but if you want so to see if, a real... So then don't say it on the podcast, <laughs> Let's just... Because remember, this is not just you and me hanging yeah. out. We've got all sorts of bros and sisters. Yeah. You know, we got... Yeah. So like, I'm... If yeah, you're yeah. not going to... But I just think... I just think... Just you remember, really hurt us on this one. No, so I don't think so. I, I think it's... A, I think it's a... It's a cheap... Here's I also happened. agree it's a Here, cheap... No, point, no, but yeah. here, Here's what's happened. Yeah. A bunch of trolls that usually sort of hang around on the edges of DC and Toronto and London and, and, and Delhi suddenly have been mainstreamed into the Indian government. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's a reflection on the state of creativity and, and professionalism within the Indian system. Yeah. So I, I actually feel bad for India. I, I don't know what's going on with that country, but when their prime minister starts to sound like a Twitter troll, <laughs> like with fake followers and everything, like you know, I mean, it's 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 not it's not good news. Right? It's okay. He's gonna get it from really good-looking, hijab-wearing, Baluchi women with 
uh, Pakistani <laughs> names. He's gonna get it. Those, those, yeah, we have those, an army those of those sisters. Yeah, those sisters with the hijabs. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the best. All on Twitter, they're gonna make sure that nothing goes forward. But but so anyhow, so, so there is that, right? So, um, but also sort of coming back to Dave's, uh, the other big story is obviously, you know, what's happening against MQM. And something I thought you'd never bring it up because, yeah. you know, because I guess today is an interesting day for them to go after somebody like Khwaja Izhar. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know Khwaja, like, uh, you know, because of this, uh, the work that I do, you know, I interact yeah. with a lot of MPAs and MAs, and, you know, he's like a, like a lot of other MPAs and MAs in, in other parts of the country, like, wants to serve his constituents, wants to retain power, has a party infrastructure that he's a part and parcel of has to worship the party cult whatever yeah. that cult is and every every party in this country has one yeah. including the ANP and and the and the PMLN the PMLN yeah you know and the PPP yeah BB yeah. you know ZB so you know I, like I don't think he's extraordinary in any sense and like so many other MPAs and MNAs he must have his name and several dozen FIRs like that's not hard to do go to the police station and and start you know start taking names and suddenly you know you have an FIR I think it's an interesting day for this to happen because for me because the Owen Bennett Jones story I think also came out today yeah Uh, that was a story in Dawn yeah you know what we should do we should get OBJ uh Actually, that would be a great one. We Sorry, now we're that. literally riffing like on the podcast. Yeah, Usually yeah. we do this <laughs> offline. Yeah. But anyway, given what we've read in, in the piece, of course, for many people, it's a validation of their theories about sort of, you know, Great Britain's sort of uh, duplicitous role <laughs> in Pakistani politics. But I also think that there's an element of a series of assertions there that, I mean, OBJ has to... I mean, but it's an encapsulation of the whole conspiracy theory mindset as well, because it's got India, it's got raw funding, it's got a very um, distinct thing. About it's got Britain, Britain, but and so, Britain so, so here's so here's an interesting including line. making it into a very recent thing of how America's pivoting towards Britain, and so uh, America's pivoting towards India, and you know. Britain is also recognizing the same, not saying that in the piece, but essentially it's all coming together. Yeah, I mean, it's all cute, right? And and OBJ and I have had sort of discussions on this, right? And I don't always agree with with his analysis, uh, especially on Karachi. But he's done a lot of homework on this, obviously. And so I think there's a lot that he's saying that I think we have to pay attention to. One point that he makes, which I find peculiar and curious, is... This idea that the British system really needed, like, somebody... Like, it really enjoyed having a Pakistani politician living in London and therefore, like, in its control. Dude, which Pakistani politician doesn't, doesn't live, live in, in London? London. What, yeah. the hell kind of, like, what, <laughs> what the hell kind of point is that? Yeah. Ex-generals serving generals. Yeah. Ex-secretaries serving secretaries. Yeah. Ex-prime ministers, future prime ministers yeah. serving prime ministers. Prime Minister's daughters with property and sons and cousins. Ex-Chief General Staff, uh, all of them. Surrey yeah. Mansions, yeah. like, you know, uh, Rahman Maliks. Like, please tell me what, what significant politician doesn't have an interest in London. And, and, and just a quick FYI for our Insafian brothers and sisters, yeah. Imran Khan's kids and ex-wife. Also, also London. London. Also, yeah. probably. Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, there literally is not. I, I don't know. Can you can you think of a party or a group that isn't? By the way, the Harbiars and the and the Bros. You know, the BLF, BNA, whatever. Yeah. Those Bros also have uh, BLA. Uh, they also have London. Uh, Everyone. So, uh, London is the place. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. London is the changing crowd. No, don't yeah. forget. One of my favorite documents in Pakistani history is the Charter of Democracy. Yeah. And. Where was it written? London. Boom, 2006. So, like, this point about how, oh, the the British establishment really needed, like, an inn. (laughs) And Adolf Hussain was their guy. Yeah. Dude, just on Edgware Road, there's probably six party offices where the chiefs of the parties have lived for significant periods of time. Yeah. So, if the accusation is that the 
British establishment, the British system uh, wants an end. It has an end through every single major party political in country, party in this yeah. country. And, and, and they've got even a seasonality to it. Like the British are the most powerful during summer. <laughs> <laughs> and when there's a sale at Harris. And when there's a sale at Harris. <laughs> um, that, of course, doesn't take away from the fact that there is some serious scumbaggery going on yeah. in MQM Altaf or, or whatever. Like the, the, the cult of Altaf Hussain, yeah. what it was and what it is and what it means for voters in Karachi is very different from the operational realities of that cult inside wherever that cult resides on or near Edgware Road in, yeah. in, in the United Kingdom. So, again, I think there's definitely smoke and something definitely stinks. Yeah. But to draw from, from the evidence, the conclusions that OBJ is drawing, for me, I think we need to be, I think, I think we need to be as skeptical of that as we are of anything else that comes out. True. Uh, that comes out at this end. Yeah. The other question, of course, is what, what did the guy do to die in custody? Mm. You know, the two fellows that our people have. Yeah. Why did one of them die? And what's the other one been saying? Yeah. And, you know, what, what's the status of the extradition? You know, and who's negotiating all of this for Pakistan? Yeah. OBJ says it's Chaudhry Nassar. Yeah. Also an interesting angle, given Chaudhry Nassar's place and relationship with the prime minister, yeah. his, his relationship with the establishment. So there's yeah. a whole range of interesting sort of angles that come out of it. I agree. But and, and, and it's interesting. I mean, what, what do you think of the arrest of Khwaja Azhar within this context on the day that the story comes out? I, I mean, so for me, it's just, again, um, I think it's a situation where they've, they've already ceded a lot of space, right? So for a lot of people, the speeches of Altaf against Pakistan, and now with some sort of international validation also coming in, Maybe they've put more attachment to it than it actually merits. But it's just one of those things. But I think the thing that it's done is that it's also exposed to really big cleavage, which is within the democratic system and what the law is for how you're going to arrest these people, how you're going to arrest MPAs, MNAs. And now with you know supposed statements from the prime minister, the chief minister, and you've got a police officer who's sort of hinting at greater powers, uh, you know, behind the stage. I just think it's one of those things that help create what is our sustained sense of almost instability that is, that, you know, do we, this is the current dispensation under threat. It might be too much looking into it, but it just fits into that pattern perfectly. I, I, I mean, I think that this is a country and a national discourse that needs no help whatsoever in eating itself. Yeah. What I find interesting and the reason I, I, I use the term Waini Pakhtun is that, of course, what we're also seeing already is the Waini Mahajir. Yeah. Uh, starting with Farooq Sattar, who says that, you know, this... What, what exactly is the agenda here? Yeah. It looks like it has nothing to do with Al-Daf or London or Karachi. It's yeah. against the MQM and against Mahajirs. Because suddenly, every, every Mahajir... Also, yeah. Of course it's a good play. Just, yeah. like, just like saying that nobody's paying attention to the Momand attack yeah. uh, is, is also a good play. Yeah. The same people who are against Pakistani military actions, yeah. but for drone strikes, yeah. now want attention on the Jamaat al-Ahrar attack in a moment mosque yeah because uh, you know what i'm yeah, saying yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. layer upon and there's a lot of crisscrossing yeah and only allah knows where the wires get crossed right yeah. eventually yeah because actually every news cycle is an opportunity for the expression of a grievance yeah one way to look at this is why why guys why do we have to whine so much so what 23 23 people got killed in a yeah. mosque <laughs> we kept six slack of you safe over there yeah and also, so what? You know, one of your MNAs or MPAs got arrested. Yeah. What's the big deal? Yeah. At least not every MPA was arrested. There's another angle to this. Uh, you know, in terms of eating ourselves. You have not only 
layers of grievance upon layer of grievance upon layers of grievance, sometimes contradicting the previous grievance yeah. or the grievance from two layers ago. Yeah. This is within one column of grievances. Yeah. Let's call them, in the case of the north of the country, Bakhtun grievances, yeah. or in the case of the south of the country, <laughs> Mahajir grievances. Yeah. But there's also competitive grievances. Yeah. Today, my 23 Pakhtun brothers in Momand were killed and nobody had time because everybody was interested in the Rao Anwar versus, versus MQM dynamic. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mahajir grievance is being churned mm-hmm. and the Mahajir grievance is, why are those Pakhtuns complaining about 23 attacks there? We've had a sustained attack on our representative political party yeah. in which offices are being bulldozed. We 70 didn't hear people killed. 70 people killed. Yeah. We didn't hear anybody complain about yeah. any of that. Yeah. And by the way, one Altaf Hussain, Pakistan, not so Zindabad you know, thing versus versus everything that's come out of like Bacha Khan lovers. Yeah. Like, are we seriously <laughs> having this conversation? And suddenly... This goes back to, of course, the streets of Karachi. Yeah. Like Baldia versus Orangi versus, yeah. you know, Kurangi versus yeah. like Gulshan versus like Gulistan and Johar. Yeah. Pakhtun on Pakhtun slash Pakhtun on Mahajar slash Mahajar on Mahajar slash Mahajar on Pakhtun action. Yeah. And suddenly, all of this is, is part of your national discourse. Yeah. And you're so wound up in this that you forget that your prime minister is boarding a plane tomorrow to land in New York on Sunday. Yeah. to go in for what I think is going to be the most significant, most significant, full-on, full-frontal, like, attack mode when it comes to India. Yeah. And, and again, nobody's watching that. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I, I, mean, I think on a, much, on a smaller level, I, what I find interesting, just on a one-to-one basis on occasion, is... Um, how, you know, being a minority hasn't, or being, you know, a subsection where you've got grievances, hasn't led you to support equivalences around the country in the way that it should be. Because you're right, there is a competitive element to this, because I do find, like sometimes, you know, like I'm sitting with someone and, you know, they're, they're from Jarsada or whatever, and they'll be like, yeah, get them all in Balochistan. We've got to finish this, you know, irritating. Just can't they get with the program? Even though at the same time, right, if you bring up Kalabakh Dam, they'll go all psycho on you, right? And, and, and I think that's an interesting area where why you continue to have sort of pockets of this. But, but you're right. And maybe in Karachi it's more difficult because then you've also got intra-ethnic you know, sort of tensions and well, you have intra-ethnic and intra-ethnic. Intra-ethnic, yes. For right. me, the intra-ethnic is fascinating. Right? Yeah, and so yeah, but Karachi, man, like you know, it's not this. A lot of upcountry. I, I I love upcountry talk about Karachi. Yeah, because it's always first of all. People care so much about the people of Karachi in yeah. the rest of the country. <laughs> I I really love it, man. Yeah. Like it's like, don't you people care about the violence in your city, <laughs> yeah. bro? Like you don't live there. Yeah, 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 you know, uh, and I, I mean, I don't either. Just F one, yeah. <laughs> like you know. But uh, you know, I have a certain kinship with Karachi and everything. People forget that, of course, the MQM thing is not a Mahajir Mahajir thing. Yeah, not every Mahajir is 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 a supporter of the MQM. Yeah. In fact, if you are from a certain socioeconomic class, which has enjoyed mobility over the last twenty five thirty years, yeah, you are. most likely not an MQM supporter because actually MQM expresses itself and is an expression of very succinctly and specifically lower middle class quasi-Mahajar sentiment. Yeah. And then of course within within that I mean there's all kinds of sort of subgroups you know the MQM is constituted of all kinds of Mahajars. Shias, Sunnis, Barelvis, Deobandis, Biharis, Upiwalas up as upstate a party, UP Valas, yeah. downstate UP Valas, Lucknowis, Delhi. I mean, there's, you know. And as a party, I think that's been its singular success also, which is sort of like bringing them all together in a way that, you know, one of the things I think... Although if you, if you hear some Sindhi bros sell it, it isn't their success, it's the ISI that put it all together. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I'm glad like they've got tunnel vision in this one case where they decide no, everyone should get along, and 
but but no, but I'm I'm also wondering is like you know in the end game in the, in this whole scenario, and I'm not that well versed on Karachi. But how would then that particular sentiment and a particularly real grievance be articulated? Like, who are the options? I mean, it doesn't look like Boxer is a mean party. He's going to be the one. No, who is it going to be? What? There, there is. First of all, there are no options. Yeah, exactly. There's only yeah. the option that is. Yes. That's Farooq Sattar yeah. and 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 the party be, yeah. that that's lined up behind him. Yeah. And you know, you can, you can be picky, yeah. and you can want to have the perfect angelic Mahajir. Yeah. If you present the perfect angelic Sindhi, Punjabi, Siraiki, Pakhtun. Yeah. KP Pakhtun and Balochistan Pakhtun yeah. and of course Baloch. Yeah. And if you can do that, great. But yeah. here's 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 the That's news. another country. <laughs> no yeah, and it's not a country we'll ever live in. Yeah. I mean, you know, even the Baloch, like, you know I mean the people we're doing business with, yeah. we being, you know, Pakistan Central. Yeah. Pindi slash Lahore. Yeah. Or Pindi to Lahore, the yeah. GT Road. Uh, we're doing business with people who very well tomorrow might become Bukhtis. Yeah. Some of them happen to be Bukhtis, yeah. right? Yeah. That are hardcore sort of, you know, pro pro Pak studies Pakistan yeah. versus, you know, pro somebody else's Pakistan. Yeah. So I think and this has been a consistent weakness uh, of of those folks who would like to see a more coherent national discourse. Yeah. Or Here's the thing, in a democracy, especially a young one, especially in an experimental state, yeah. which I don't consider to be a revisionist state, I use that term uh, tongue-in-cheek about Pakistan today with somebody else, but let's just go with the Western view on this, the Western academic view that this is a revisionist state. If you happen to be a revisionist in organic state, in organic in the sense yeah. that Pakistan is, an, is a name, it's a coinage, yeah. um, it isn't a place or, you know, your efforts to seek a coherent, robust, centrifugal sort of, you know, national narrative about where you come from and why you exist is actually a failed project from the get-go and will always fail. The only strength and cohesion that you'll find is in each petal having its own color and each petal being, being encouraged to grow more petals mm. in multicolor format. Mm. I mean, what need do we, we have? We don't like rainbows in this country. Well, we should, yeah. because I'll tell you what, the Pakistan that I can... So I have, a, I have, a, I have this vision of a kind of nationalist that, that, that will work for the 21st century. Yeah. I'll tell you who it is. It's Yasir Latif Hamdani. I've yeah. made this point before. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> if you want Pakistani nationalism, the future of it yeah. is is the picture of Yasser Latif Hamdani. Yeah. I mean, the, he's a lawyer and, he, and, he's, and he's a smart guy and he's very passionate. He gets dragged into these really like visceral sort of debates with people. Yeah. But there's, a, there's one consistent thread throughout. It is a pluralistic, rainbow, multi-pedal, multi-color version yeah. of Pakistaniant, right? Yeah. Here's what that but, looks but like. But we have to take out Rafar Khan from that. No, the, uh, but the whole no, point but is... Yasir, Yasir is wonderful, right? Yeah, but he I, doesn't like the ANP. Like, I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I get it. Because, yeah. because, because of course, he's sort of a Jinnaist to the core. Yeah. And these guys stood against Jinnah. But I think Yasir will accept. Well, I, I don't want to speak for him. We yeah. should get him on as he well. He needs to be on, yeah. yeah. But, but here's, here's what I think that means. He's already driven one of our episodes, the Sawabgar. Oh, that was that, him. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, he's, he's great. I, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm a really big yeah. fan. I really do think that he's going to be like an integral character in this Actually, one of, one, one of my own assessments is always is that... So I've found people who are like absolutely fearless in Pakistan tend to be some of the women commentators. So you've got Asma Jangir, whether you agree with her, disagree with her, right? There'll be 2,000 people standing outside wanting to have her carcass or whatever, and she won't change her opinion. The same as with Marvi Sirman and whatever. And, but Yasin is one of those, Taira Abdullah, absolutely. Champion. Yeah, yeah, champion. Doesn't care and, about And a gracious, such a gracious woman, by the way. Very kind woman, yeah. very kind. And then you've got Yasir Latif also. He's also one of those... 
And the interesting thing is, you put you know, these four no bigger, in one room, you, right? Oh, they gonna, hate, they're going to hate each they're other. They're going to hate each other, right? <laughs> but I think it says a lot that we put Yasser's name in that yeah, list because yeah. to me, these are unbelievably courageous yes, women. And yeah. of course, I don't agree with every position. In Same fact, with me. Yeah. In fact, with many of the positions, yeah. or at least, at least with the way in which they articulate their positions, I have, you know, because I'm. I'm a conservative, kind of slightly scared of like everybody kind yeah. of guy, and I, you know, I, I want everybody to get along, yeah. and I want to find us the middle path. I'm, I'm yeah. a, I like to think of myself as a hardcore centrist. Let's yeah. everybody get along. Let's not let ideology get in the way of you know getting stuff done. Let's yeah. get stuff done, yeah. and agree to disagree as much as we can. Yeah. And these guys, of course, live and thrive on <laughs> disagreement, right? And so there's like a fundamental disconnect. Yeah. Um, you you are also slowly but surely morphing into a centrist. I have been for I'm some time. I'm disappointed. No, well, partly I think, I think it was 2007, 2013 that did it for me, right? For the first time I saw, and I've said this many times on the podcast, there was a fundamental change in me which was that some of the... I still believe in some of the beauties of, you know, sort of left thought and ideology. However, the problem is I don't think the state is strong enough to sustain something. So one of the things that maybe it'd be wrong mischaracterizing what you just said is, but I'm also now up for minimum levels of agreement so that we move forward in increments right now. And sometimes, you know, I just think some of the bigger debates which create huge divisions, there are parts that where you can just like sort of, there's a place for everyone, right? I'd like the army to change some things radically. I know that it can't, but at the same time, I also know it's essential for this country because it's one of the institutions that works, but it is way out of its ambit. And uh, but we, I'd argue that it does, I mean, and I, you know, I, I, I think that the service of a soldier uh, denying a soldier or a spy or an airman or a seaman our literal worship at the individual level is a crime. Absolutely. At the same time, at the same time, what works? I mean, yeah. why do you say it's an institution that works? I, I, I think we need to contest it's, that. I, I, think, I don't think it works. I think, I, I think in the context of what works in Pakistan and what, what, what works yeah, means for Pakistan. Yeah, but I don't like Pakistan. our standards, man. Like, I, think, I think we need to raise our standards. So I think, I think, An army works when it wins wars. Yeah, right? yeah. I want us to win wars. I don't want us to fight wars at all, right? I, I, I'm, I'm a realist in, yeah. in the sense that we are going to be forced to fight wars. By the way, we're not yeah. done. You yeah. know, I have long believed in the mythology of a normalized South Asia region that has been buried alive by Modi, Ajit Doval, and, and S.J. Shankar. These people have presided over the worst, the worst kind of toxification of the region's politics in my memory. Having Ashraf Ghani come to India and saying the things he said and then blasting at full full volume this kind of nonsense about Balochistan. This is going to what grounds do Pakistani pro normalization voices have today to talk no, about so peace I, with I, India? I, I think right he now has, he has taken the carpet from under us. So right now it's changed, right? Even with the election of Modi, I think it's changed significantly, and I don't think you'll find voices in the liberals or the left who hold the same position as before. Partly because they've seen that India itself Can I tell you what's is tragic not what it was. Of, no, no. But, yeah. but there's something tragic about that too. It, it tells you the kind of power an Indian Prime Minister wields over our positions. Yeah. That by him choosing to pick a certain fight, he can alter the balance and the tone of how we will articulate and advocate normalization with India. That's an incredible power for, for, for us to cede to Indians. So at one level, I wonder about the moral compulsion for somebody, somebody like me to say, you know what, Modi is what Modi is, but Pakistan and India still need to be conducting trade. Yeah. I admire the folks that are going to take that position today, tomorrow, and, and the week and after. And it's amazing because they're thinking in the long term, they're exposing themselves to deep unpopularity in their own countries. And that is a form of nationalism, which I think is the highest form that you can have, right? Because Meanwhile, yeah, twenty-three dead in Moman. Yes, Khwaja Azhar in jail. 
the prime minister subtweeting the army, obviously, by saying, you know, what is this? How, how can you do this without the, without the authority of the speaker or without yeah. informing the speaker? The chief minister subtweeting probably his party headquarters as well, but, yeah. but, but a bunch of people saying he, did, he, he knows that the speaker wasn't informed. Farooq Sitar saying, are you trying to start a war? I actually, I also think that, you know, it's amazing how much of our policy is being read through Twitter these days. You've got ISPR, you've got all these other characters who are putting out these things and we're wondering, like, you know, you need a bloody policy document and you've just put it into 140 characters. And then from that, we start drawing out conclusions. And, you know, there's a period before they actually expound upon what they were saying. But in that interim, you've got so many people reading into things that, and I think ISPR does it the most. And they've done it a number of times where it's actually been really bad for the government and elsewhere. But I'm, you know, just wondering at how much we've got captured by Twitter. I, I, so I think maybe that for It's me- a great thing, Twitter. I just don't think your policy statement should be at 140 characters. So I think that that is more of a two things. One, I think that's more a commentary on the times. Yeah. Uh, I think that social media instruments are, are mainstream, globally and locally. I also think it's a sign of the times vis-a-vis national capacity to think. The reason we are comfortable with Twitter is because it doesn't require deep thinking. And it's great for Nara's. But it's great for, I'm sorry. Hashtag for, Nara. Yeah, but yeah. I mean. So I'm just saying, if you're talking about. It's, it's the ultimate dumbing down yeah. of, of, uh, of, of, of people and discourses. Like, yeah. I, I think, like just on this, on today, this whole, this whole space of grievances what grievances should be afforded legitimacy, which ones shouldn't, how do we tell the difference, how do we separate our own sub-identities from the grievances that are being expressed, how do we, how do we filter, uh, how do we find empathy? If we're from, I don't know, Sheikhapura or Lahore, and we have no, no ownership over why or how a guy votes or or, or, or or lady votes MQM in NA246. Can we at least see why they would? Can we at least see, even even if we find them whining, can we at least see why so many Pakhtuns, especially educated, upwardly mobile, you know, people people who can really who can do and say and, 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 and be anything they want, those folks, why they're so angry why they feel that there's a specific targeting and victimization of Pakhtuns. We don't have to agree with them, but can we try to see why they're saying what they're saying? Other than ascribing ill intent or evil intent, yeah. right? Other than saying, this is a conspiracy against CPEC. Yeah. This is a, you know, US plant or an Indian plant or whatever. Actually seeing, okay, what are the local and global circumstances that compel somebody to feel a certain way about their uh, subnational identity or their national identity as they as they believe it to be. Oh. And you know, it goes back actually in a way to one of my favorite podcast episodes. The one I forget we had that uh, Indian uh, writer. Uh, Pratap. Pratap. Yeah. And he was just talking about sort of like where India had to go and had to sort of encompass all these subnational identities and expressions. And I think essentially that's it for us also. Um, because, you know, I think one of the interesting things that I find, and, and, and this is it, I think it's a national problem, like from the establishment perspective, but also from a subnational problem is because sometimes when I hear people talking about the Muhajirs wanting an identity or expressing identity politics or having chosen only the MQM to do it and then they're frustrated I'm like dude you know you need you should know better because you know because there are legitimate gripes in you know KP and elsewhere and then when you sort of negate them then I see like the order of the challenge to be significantly larger 
than you know sort of understanding because you know there are but communities this, that you know understand that what's the minority experience and then becoming slightly more a cultural or uh, sensitive to other minority experiences but i i think we even have we to build on that a, we don't have a progressive discourse to speak of i mean that's that's principally why right yeah. fussy i mean it was what i was talking about we are eating ourselves yeah it really is i mean just awful to see the kind of competitiveness yeah. that that we're seeing today right yeah. because uh, not awful in the sense that it's awful that people have these views awful in the sense that we haven't developed a a framework for expressing grievance that is mutually reinforcing yeah that says that you know what it's terrible that this arrest is happening yeah but we, in this in this way on the same day that yeah. 23 pakhtuns were killed in momand so you you've seen this thing that's happening in western campuses microaggressions and you know this whole millennial thing where they're being being very um let's say uh some say they, they need to be coddled too much but they have this one word which i picked up tone policing <laughs> right yeah. and when i first understood it for the first time like i i also look at it in a way that when you look at you know like like today and some people having a problem with how the pakhtuns are expressing i mean what is a very big tragedy but in a way it's also a question of tone policing like okay i get it you're angry but can you like say it a bit politely to me but it's uh, like you know what it's like <laughs> it's like wolf yeah mr wolf right from what it's like you know do this do that and clean the car yeah. says well mr wolf oh, i yeah, respect yeah. you and all yeah i respect you oh, all, yeah, but, yeah. But, but i just want like could, could, could you, you ask me politely could you, could, could you ask me politely yeah. and he's like oh hey please pretty please yeah go clean the bleeping car <laughs> you know so, so yeah. i mean that's classical tone police yeah. right it's like letting tone yeah get in the way of substance but here that's it exactly no, here's the yeah. beautiful thing I think and this is something like you and I both understand. Tone does get in the way of substance. It does. And therefore your tone really does matter. Yeah. If you want more attention yeah. on the loss of life and the destruction and disruption yeah. of Pakhtun values, Pakhtun society, Pakhtun culture, you you have to find ways to do it in which you bring people into the tent. Yeah. Not ways in which you push people away. Yeah. Right? Similarly, if you want people to pay attention to the unfair way in which the MQM is being treated, yeah. Grievance expression is fine, but if you end up alienating the rest of the country, yeah. and and so many times the MQM has done exactly that, then yeah. that's on you MQM. That's yeah. not on the rest of the country. Yeah. No matter no matter that the rest of the country's treatment of the issue is influenced by a whole range of, you know, yeah. factors that maybe, you know, maybe part of the equation for reasons that aren't yeah. above board but you know i think the tone matters and i think that tone matters for everybody and therefore even aggrieved parties yeah. have a moral compulsion yeah to to watch their tone yeah but i i, I, I don't I, know if that makes sense to you i mean it does from a purely rational perspective unfortunately i think on the day of anything happening there's a certain agency the oppressed gets for you know but they're not getting that agency right yeah. we we've you know you tweeted that thing with the hashtags yeah it th- that's the that's the complete hollowing out of agency bro true true <laughs> you know so yes of course the oppressed to have agency yeah. but who's the oppressed it sounds sometimes like nawaz sharif is oppressed <laughs> no when he came on tv after panama leaks yeah, yeah, yeah. who was the most oppressed guy in the world you know yeah. nawaz sharif was so oppressed it was yeah. so terrible yeah. the buttos oh my god such oppressed people and and why not you know two two leading figures of one judicial murder the second you know terrorist attack Three. nawaz sharif was unfairly sort of yeah. you know booted out of office so at some level there is a degree of oppression but is it more than the victims of momand today out of charsada a few months ago mm. or of yohanabad uh, in the two churches you know like a year and a half ago yeah. or more it's almost two what is it a year and a half probably yeah. now so i think tone matters the oppressed do have agency but we live in a in a post postmodern world where 
even legitimate agency is easily questionable because you can manipulate anything, which is what, which is what. And you know what this comes down to in a way is uh, something you and I have discussed also before. And I think you've even written quite well about it. It comes down to that whole thing about how emotion is paramount in our discourse and it's rewarded and whatever. And anybody who says, wait, you know, maybe not everyone's going to get everything, but we can get this minimum mix of solution out of the way is the one who is more often than not, you know, booted out from the room because it doesn't fall into the almost all or nothing uh, yeah, that ab- we have. And well, absolutely. People want you to choose sort of, you know, clear, distinct sides. Yeah. Nawaz Sharif is corrupt and we're going to bring him down. Or Imran Khan is immature and we're going to bring him down. Or the army is all evil and we're going to bring them down. Or the Pakhtuns are 100% oppressed yeah. and we must save them. And actually, it's a little bit of all of them. And yeah. if you're uncomfortable with that multiplicity, you don't belong as a serious person I agree. in the yeah. 21st century. <laughs> no, really. Yeah, if yeah, you yeah. can't process yeah. the fact that all of those things are yeah. both completely true yeah. and completely false, yeah. if we take them at 100% or zero, yeah. then, then you cannot function in the 21st century. I agree. And I agree. we need to be raising children yeah. uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in terms of our values uh, from an education and a pedagogical standpoint yeah. that enables children to process multiplicity, not duality, multiplicity yeah. simultaneously in real time, all the time. Yeah. Well, I, on that note, which I agree with 100%, I think we should come to a close. And as usual, it was uh, great and not so great speaking to you because I'm, I'm cool with multiplicity. And uh, that's, very, that's very kind. Uh, Obviously, we sort of, we do feel uh, a sense of sadness. Yeah. Uh, I think that, I hope that our listeners will also say a prayer for the victims and their families in Momand. Uh, it is yet one more stab wound in, in this country's long-running sort of, you know, of many cuts. massacres yeah. and cuts. Uh, may Allah bless all of our listeners. Uh, anybody who's hurting anywhere in the world, may Allah sort of give them comfort and succor and and may all oppressed folks be able to retain their agency. Yes. And may those of us who can make a difference be able to make a difference. To and articulate help. it in a way that it can be heard. Inshallah. Inshallah. Thanks a lot, Fasi. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. Good night. See you soon. Khuda Hafiz.